Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the I See Old People podcast. I am Dr. Bruce, your host. Uh, it's been so long since I said that, I forgot my name. Today is October 7th, Wednesday, October 7th. So it has been a many Tuesdays since my last podcast. My last podcast was in September, September 1st. So it's been well over a month. I just don't have anything to say in this time of madness right now. I do three things a day. I go to the gym, I go to a meeting, and I eat. That's basically my life. It's very, very boring, and there's nothing really to share with you. I certainly went down the rabbit hole uh, a lot about this whole uh, time of madness and what's causing it and the different things that are happening, and I realized that uh, all I'm really doing is regurgitating news to you that could be old news, could be new news, could be fake news, and I'm putting myself at great risk with no real benefit whatsoever. Uh, my viewership is very low. I like to call uh, this podcast a micro podcast. I am uh, trend setting in the micro pod podcast uh, de definition. It's probably going to be something that I, I will listen to as I get older. God bless as I if I, I my next podcast is more than likely going to be on my birthday, which is on November 23rd when I turn 61. I started this podcast to talk about the senior years and thus the names, uh, the name I see old people, because most of the people that I deal with in life are older. And I was really excited to bring on a few really interesting uh, octogenarians who had wonderful stories to tell. Uh, that was before the uh, age of madness descended upon us in March of 220. And then, of course, uh, my little studio uh, was not able to accommodate uh, two people sitting close together and talking. Uh, many of these uh, gentlemen that I and women that I wanted to interview, and I still have quite a long list of them. I hope that they can stay healthy and get through this all till the time I can interview them and get their stories recorded. But they are not comfortable with things such as Zoom, and they certainly are not comfortable uh, going into a small confined space to do an interview. So the podcast became all about me, and then it became all about me talking about what was going on in the world, and that was when I was really exposing myself for no reason whatsoever, absolutely no benefit to myself, putting myself out at great risk. Uh, most of you who do listen to me, you know that I am uh, center-right. Uh, in Canada, I'm called a conservative. I'm a card-carrying conservative. That is still legal to be a conservative in Canada. A center-leaning conservative tends to be one who believes in social programs. I believe in uh, the rights of women to have abortions. I believe in helping people who are poor. So social welfare programs. I believe in social housing to help people who are poor. I do believe that the wealthy have to share through their taxation in taking care of the, uh, the poor within our society. And I believe in universal health care, which in Canada we have a fantastic system of universal health care. And I'm blessed to have utilized it a number of times. Well, I'm not blessed to have used it. Uh, I unfortunately had to use it, but I have blessed that it, been, that it has been there. No Canadian ever goes bankrupt because of a health issue or a health. Uh, when I do do my, uh, my 61st birthday, 
birthday podcast uh, in um, a little bit over a month, a month and a half, I will be reporting some pretty good news. I have lost quite a bit of weight during this time of madness. I've introduced some really good healthy habits. And one of the things that I have been doing is I have been going to uh, AA. So I guess the cat's out of the bag. It's not anonymous anymore for me, although I just go by Bruce V when I'm there and nobody knows my last name. Anybody who's listening to this can certainly do a Google search and find out who I am. So I have not been shy talking about my alcoholism. Uh, It has been a problem that has plagued me through most of my adult life. Uh, And then it it got particularly worse at a certain time. One of the things about Alcoholics Anonymous is that you go through a number of steps. There are 12 steps. And one of the steps uh, that I went through, uh, number four, was doing a searching moral inventory about uh, the things that you think are uh, that are wrong with you, that are uh, upsetting to you as a person, that maybe cause you to be angry, cause you to be fearful, cause you to act out in a ra- irrational ways. All of these types of things is this for- fearless moral inventory. And then step five, uh, once you've gone through your, for- your fearless moral inventory and you've really come to terms with some of these uh, faults, then you, then you talk to another human being about these things. Now, I have talked to therapists in the past. I've had an addictive personality all my life. I wasn't an alcoholic all my life. Uh, That was mostly in the later part of the years. And I tried to explain that to this person as I was sharing uh, this moral inventory with him and uh, he's he was a trained professional he's heard a lot of step fives from a lot of people uh, he was an, he is an alcoholic himself and uh, had with many many years of sobriety under his belt oh i should say now i am uh, three and a half almost four months sober after my relapse my terrible relapse that happened during the beginning of the time of madness but I uh, still won't refer to myself as a healed alcoholic. I am just a alcoholic in recovery, and I am continue to re- continuing to recover on a day-to-day basis. So I spoke to uh, this fellow during my Step 5 meeting about this terrible car accident that I was in and how I believed that that car accident was the beginning of uh, my... Uh, where I had kind of lost self-control. I was holding things together pretty well up until then, I felt. And uh, it wasn't until that accident that something happened, something snapped inside my brain that I didn't hold back anymore. My anger went through the roof. My drinking went through the roof. My use of uh, drugs went through the roof. I uh, My personal relationships became very, very isolated. I became very, very... Uh, alone and angry and depressed so many things and and so then he asked me a very simple question he said well when was that and i did not even i was not able to even give him an answer so i said i think it was 10 maybe 15 years ago he said to me he said bruce how can you tell me that you had such a life-changing event you had such a life-changing event in your life and you can't even tell me when it was 
And that made a lot of sense. He said, let's hold this interview off now. Well, not really an interview. It's more like a confession, I guess, if you come from the Catholic faith. You're just doing this kind of confession. But it's a guided one because it's someone who's been through it. And he's heard a lot of step fives before. Nothing I was telling this fellow was a surprise. He'd heard it all before. So he, he paused. we paused that uh, interview, and uh, I said, okay, I'm going to go find back. And I, I, I go back into my computers, and I start digging through. And back in the day, I had written a journal, and the journal was called Progress Progress. Uh, I came up with that name because it was something I heard on the golf course. The old guys called themselves Proggers. And uh, I liked the, I just liked the name, and I liked how they rang together. So I called it Progress Progress, and I kept this daily journal that was eventually, in my mind, it was going to be a book of some type, uh, and I was going to put it all together. Of course, it never became a book because it came to a, cre- a, a creasing stop, is what happened to it. it came to a crashing stop uh, when this happened. So I did find out the date, but I had written about it, and I'd written about it. Uh, within days of it happening. So I'm going to share that with you now. I, I want you to hear what, what went on and, and, and kind of the life-changing event that caused me my, my post-traumatic stress disorder, threw me into depression that lasted for so, so many years. And uh, I'm only now coming out of it. And I'm coming out of it through hard work, hard work. So I found the date. It was 2002. So the time of madness here is 2020. So this was 18 years ago, almost 19 years ago, because it was on December 27th. So I'm going to read this to you here. Uh, I'm I'm in such a better state. I I don't think I could have read this to you a few months ago. I think I would have started crying, and I I hope I don't during this. But uh, it, it it was the most traumatic incident that ever happened to me. And uh, my behaviors after it happened to me really set the course of my life for the last 18 years. So here goes. This is from Progress Progress by uh, Dr. Bruce. I almost lost my life in a motor vehicle accident on December 27th, 2002. I ended up with three broken ribs and a vertical crack in the lower part of my sternum. Various bruises and scrapes. This is a small problem. I could have easily been killed, or my passenger, or the driver of the other car. The smell of death was very close that night. But at the end, I walked out of the Hagersville Emergency Department, shaken but alive. As so many stories begin, I'll start this one with. The day began as so many days have began before. It was an an unexceptional day. I had a great day at the office. My numbers were good. In fact, they were more than good. They were great. I felt on top of the world. My son Michael was playing in a hockey tournament in Caledonia a town about 45 minutes northeast of here. The mother of a teammate called me about three o'clock and asked if she and her daughter could get a ride with me up to the game. I worked until five o'clock and I picked them up at 5.15. She knew I was coming straight from work. When she got in the van, she handed me a toasted chicken sandwich thinking I might be hungry. That was great. Some company for the ride 
and supper to go. Amanda sat in the front passenger seat and her daughter Kiera sat in the second row of seats. The next few minutes were uneventful. I ate the sandwich. I made some small talk. My wife was going to meet me at the arena. She was shopping with the other kids and Amanda's husband is the trainer for the team. He was there early. He brought my boys and his son up with him. The roads were clear and the traffic was light. I took a regular route that I had taken a thousand times before, so there should have been no surprises. There should have been no surprises. The thing that still upsets me to this day is that I saw the truck. I was fully aware that there was a black pickup truck at the stop sign. It was at full stop. I had the right of way and I was continued, continuing at my set speed towards the intersection. I was traveling about 55 miles per hour when the truck entered the intersection. Amanda yelled that the truck was moving. It was right in front of me. I veered as sharply to the left as I could. Our front ends collided. My van went up on two wheels. It traveled through the oncoming lane, hit the ditch on the opposite side of the road. The van went over on its side and slid about 50 feet along the bottom of the snow-covered ditch. We were lucky. There was no oncoming traffic. There were no light poles or trees in our path. On impact, I hit the steering wheel with such force that I could feel my chest collapsing and my ribs snapping under the pressure. When we stopped, the van was laying on the driver's side. Then the blood hit me. I could feel blood hitting my face and neck. When I looked up, I was horrified to see Amanda's head hanging above me, blood pouring out of her head. She was still in her seatbelt hanging above me. The passenger window was smashed completely above her. The front windshield was smashed but still holding together. I yelled to Kiera. Kiera said she was okay. And I was asked, and I asked her, and as I asked her, she was unbuckling herself and lowering herself down towards me. I unbuckled myself and stood up on the driver's side door. There was no response from Amanda. I really was worried at this point, still bleeding heavily and was not giving any response. I unbuckled her and tried to let her fall down onto me, but her feet were stuck in the crumpled mess of the front dash. I had to pull her backwards to dislodge her legs. When her legs came free, she dropped down onto me. I sat on the driver's door window and held her in my arms. Her head was, I was getting no response from her. The first people on the scene now, there, there were first people on the scene now, and a beam of light from a flashlight lit up the van. It was only then that I could see the extent of Amanda's injuries. She was cut from her eyelid through her eyebrow up to the middle of her forehead. The cut was so wide and open that I could see the bone of her skull. I was terrified. I thought she was dead. Kiera's face was behind me. The shock in her white, motionless face was clear. I had to keep my wits about me. I couldn't let Kiera know what I was thinking. I began to yell at the people above me, we need help, 
We have to get help. She's seriously hurt. They tried to calm me down and said the ambulance had been called. Someone threw a blanket down towards us. It was at this point that Amanda squeezed my left hand. I knew she was alive. It was a moment or two later that she spoke. I'm going to be sick were her first words. The paramedics arrived and opened the back hatch of the van. Kiera went out first and I waited with Amanda still laying on top of me. The bleeding from her head wound had slowed down and she was asking where she was and why she was with me and where we were going. I answered her questions as they came and I waited for the paramedic to work his way in behind me with a striker board. When the paramedic was behind me, he reached over and held Amanda from the back and I slipped out from under her. When I got out of the back of the van, another medic moved in and the two of them got Amanda onto the board. I did not see any of this. As soon as I exited the van, I bolted towards the black pickup truck to confront the idiot that did this to us. I was stopped by the people attending to their needs. They were just kids. A guy and a girl, high school age kids. They were hurt just as badly. Their vehicle was just as twisted and as bent as mine was. I walked back to the van. By then, Amanda was coming out of the back hatch. As if by magic, along with mine, 20 hands appeared on the striker board and she was smoothly lifted up and out of that icy ditch and into the waiting ambulance. In seconds, she was gone. The kids went next. Kier and I followed in the third ambulance. My code changed en route. I began to hyperventilate and they were worried I had punctured a lung. I had not. I was just upset. I was angry. I was scared. I was worried for Amanda. The paramedic made me lay back and gave me oxygen. I waited. I closed my eyes. The four of us filled each room of the small emergency department. Kara was left to try to contact our spouses. She had little success. Cell, cell phones don't work that well in hockey arenas and she could not get through. We were in emergency for three hours. When I was allowed to get up and get dressed, they were prepping Amanda for the ambulance. They were transferring her to the regional trauma center in Hamilton for a CAT scan to rule out head injuries. It was at this point that our spouses arrived. They walked into me in my blood-soaked clothing and Amanda being moved towards a waiting ambulance. Her husband followed behind. Susan drove me home. It was nine o'clock at night. The boys had lost the game. So that was what happened that night, and it was in 2000. It was in 2002. Frogger's progress was something that I had written. Uh, I had started it in the fall of that year, and I was writing in it every day. And then I made this entry about this accident, and then I looked, and I hadn't made another entry again until March 19th. I'd been writing it every day until that accident. And then the next entry was March 19th. And it says, the times they are changing. I've completely lost focus. I really do not know what I'm doing or where I am going. I've gained weight. I'm eating at night. 
I'm eating all the wrong foods. This is spring. I'm supposed to be on top of the world right now. It is my mind that is so screwed up. I'm flying through wild mood swings. I can't seem to find that happy place no matter what I do. I'm reaching for the comfort foods, but they are not giving me comfort. They are just making me feel guilty. Today, I got back on track. I did some exercise this morning, but it's only noon. Who knows how the day will go? I've changed so much, and at the same time, I've accomplished nothing. My self-doubt in my abilities and in my future seem to have increased instead of decreased. And that was the last entry I ever made in Progress Progress. And then it's been a pretty much a steady decline in my uh, health, my cognitive abilities. It really wasn't until I had a, a wake-up call in November of 2000, 2000, November of 2018 when I quit drinking the first time and I realized that I couldn't keep going the way I was. Uh, I then relapsed during the time of madness. But I'm back on track now. I'm doing the work that needs to be done. I'm going to uh, I'm going to beat this thing. This thing took a lot of my life. It stole a lot of my life from me. I can't stop. I have to stop giving it so much power. I've got to move on, and that's what I'm doing now. Try to share with you again, and I just wanted to let you know where, uh, kind of where it all began. Somebody on such a such a bright trajectory could honestly say. I had everything. I had the world in my, I had the, the world was my oyster. And on that one fateful day, December 27, 2002, it all changed. Wish me luck. If you've listened to the end here, I, you know I love you and I appreciate you very, very much. I'll try to share again with you. But if you don't hear from me before my birthday, you know I'll be, call, I'll be talking to you on my birthday uh, when I turn 61. And the reason I started this podcast was to document my aging. I never thought it would be a tragedy. So let's hope if I, that I can turn it around and stop being a tragedy. Turn it into something joyful. Something that I can say that I'm proud of. And something that I can be happy to share with you on a weekly basis. So thank you. This is Dr. Bruce signing off. And if I don't see you NT, if I don't see you next Tuesday... I'll definitely see you Tuesday, November 23rd. I wouldn't miss that one. You only turn 61 once, and that's my turn. So bye for now. Thanks again for listening.